0: When, when I would go to New York City, I would want to be in front of the Brooklyn Bridge and photograph it, right? You would want to go to all the landmarks in the city and say, I went there. And to me, that was an extension of our architecture. How are cities built and how are experiences created?
1: On today's episode of Further Faster, we address one of commercial real estate's most challenging issues. In an industry that historically lacks diversity, we sit down with partner by designs, Patrick Clay, to discuss his experience climbing in the ranks as an architect. As a son of a colonel, Patrick spent much of his childhood moving from city to city. Each city introduced him to new cultures and design. He credits his success to these experiences. We're doing a ton of projects together. It just yeah. seems like, you know, the, you know you're know, you a perfect, perfect man for, for the next next.
0: Dude, I mean, I'm, I'm a bit of a journeyman, right? And I think that one of the things that's kind of sculpted who I am as a person was the way I was raised. My mom was a colonel in the Army. We moved every three years of my life. And I was always having to reintroduce myself and walk into rooms cold, right? So I think, you know, having had that experience growing up, it really primed me to be the professional that I am. I'm very much in-the-room guy, you know, always having to introduce myself to people for the first time. And one of the things that, you know, I learned at an early age was being the only black person surrounded by white people in the professional world, uh, people are already looking at you. And people are all sometimes underestimating you. So why don't you use it to your advantage? You know, a lot of people think that it's a disadvantage and want to complain about it. But I always thought, you know, if I got the spotlight, then just grab the mic and run with it. And that's kind of been my ethos for my entire life.
1: Well, I mean, you you clearly, um, I feel like you enjoy the spot. Like, you're one of the few architects that, like, I do work with that I feel like you lead every single meeting. And even when we do marketing stuff with um, Gravity Labs, I feel like you lead those meetings. Um, and I think that's also why, you know, even, you know, Colleen Werner, who we had on the podcast, you know, even even brought you up. I mean, I think your approach to architecture is much different um, than a lot of architects I meaning it's it just you have the great outgoing personality um, but you, you do seem like you do gravitate towards a spotlight and you you put on a show I feel like in every meeting but um, it, where, where where did where did you grow up? I mean if you moved every yeah. three years I mean what, what's home base?
0: Yeah uh, I don't have one. So <laughs> there, there, There's no hometown. Right. I was born in Denver, Colorado, uh, moved to Virginia, Georgia, Florida, New York, back to Georgia, Virginia. Um, uh, Worked in San Francisco, Chicago, um, traveled around Europe for almost a year, went back to the West Coast, went back to school to finish my degree at Virginia Tech, Um, went to New York, and then came to Chicago. So, yeah, I probably moved.
1: What do you yeah. think a lot of the traveling has a lot to do with the field you got into? I mean, being, you know, being from a lot of different cities, a lot of different areas, obviously architecture is different. Yeah. Do you think that had an impact on you getting into the architectural field? I mean, obviously you weren't you weren't bred into it if um, yeah. if your mom was a colonel.
0: Yeah, she was a colonel and she was also an artist. So uh, seven years old, me and my friends, we, we were looking at comic books and drawing and we said, all right. We're all gonna be architects one day, and we made that commitment at seven years old, and I'm the only one that did it. So, <laughs> it was – And where, where, what are they doing? What are they doing? Uh, one's an engineer. Uh, one's was a, one was well, he is a retired special forces assassin. So, like he was a he was a sharpshooter uh, with Delta Force.
1: Well,
0: yeah,
1: I've got a lot it's, of friends. Um, me, a little bit, a little. A little different than um, a little different architecture, but so again, so how how architecture? I mean, what what you know? You stayed on the path as opposed to you know your buddies went a different route. What what kept you inspired? What kept you you know on the mission?
0: Yeah, I mean, I really think it's the idea of creating. You know, I I gravitated towards art at an early age as well. Um, This idea of bringing things into the world, like sculpting the backdrop for where life unfolds you know, creating spaces where moments can happen. You know, you used to always, I used to write a lot as well. And you think about like the poetics of the written word and how can that be transcribed into like the experience space? You know, can you create a space where people can fall in love? Can you create a space where memorable moments can happen? And, you know, through my travels, I realized that when people go, and this is, I mean, obviously it's something that we all recognize now because we do it. But as a kid, when when I would go to New York City, I would wanna be in front of the Brooklyn Bridge and photograph it, right? You would wanna to go to all the landmarks in the city and say, I went there. And to me, that was an extension of our architecture. How, can, how are cities built and how our experience is, is created? And, and that was really the thing that kind of pulled me through, right? Was being able to be a part of defining moments within the urban environment. Um, and then somewhere along the way, it turned into humanizing the workplace. But, you know, I, I was fortunate enough in New York City to work on the World Trade Center Transportation Terminal with Santiago Calatrava. And, you know, that was a moment in, I think, American history that will never, hopefully never repeat itself. But it was also an opportunity that, you know, I may never have again. And I think that was really incredible. You know, that the, the flying Stegosaurus uh, exists in lower Manhattan now. And it was a, you know, huge, massive project. Uh And, um, you know, I'm really grateful for the opportunity. But because of, you know, things like that and the opportunity to work on projects like that are the things that actually got me into architecture, inspired by architecture. And and then there was a few things. I had a few professors. I won't mention who they are. They told me I couldn't do it. You know, like you'd never survive in this profession. First week, the professor. Why? Why
1: why would they say that?
0: She said, you know, she pulled me aside and said, there aren't any black people. There aren't any people like you in this profession. So you should probably transfer out. First week of school. Come on, dead serious. And so I was like, "You can't, I'm prove you can't say that." I feel like you I can't know, even say I know, that. I know, and she, she thought, "Hey, it'd probably be too hard for this guy to go up, go against all the odds." And I said, "You know what? Not only will I make it, but I will work for Calatrava one day, and I'll work for SOM one day." And I did both those things. So you know, it was. It's always for me. You know, I'm, I have an athletic background, play football at a high level in Georgia. I look at it from a competitive mindset in, and, and again, it, it's, it's just kind of fuel. Right. So I think about this professor almost daily. Um, when I get up and go to work in the morning. So.
1: Was, do you, do you think that comment was more because there's, again, there's not a lot of black architects period, or because architecture is in an industry that is, you know, Mostly white, mostly male, right? Yeah, um, right? I mean, commercial real estate in general, architecture is a part of commercial real estate. Yeah. Um, you look around, you look at the dynamics of commercial real estate in Chicago, um, you know, all the different facets, right? I mean, construction, architecture, marketing, um, it is male dominated and it's white male dominated. Is, was it, do you think that was kind of the impetus of, of the comment or was it, did it have other meaning?
0: No, I mean I think probably right, and it, it maybe in her mind she thought she was doing me a favor. Um, it was it was also well stated that it was it was hard for women as well. Um, but you know I just I, I think that uh, architecture being so closely tied to economy, like if you think about what we do, um, only the fortunate can really engage in you know the real estate in the architectural world in the way that we do right i mean there are surpluses that we deal with in order to, to 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 build assets you have to have some certain amount of wealth that's generated i mean we could go down this long line of you know the way cities are divided in the way that you know wealth has been isolated in certain pockets of cities and you know lack of opportunity in very urban areas that have led to uh less opportunity um to build the type of capital that would allow you to engage within the real estate world in a way that you know mostly white people do right and so i think that um we're now at a point where i think equity is important to kind of bring this full circle it's what really led me to this notion of humanizing the workplace right because you see that a lot of the urban world is inequitable and is somewhat inhumane from a certain perspective. So, uh, I think that the ability to bring some sense of humanity to the built environment, particularly the the office space, is something that that was really lacking. When you think about how we worked in the 80s and worked in the 90s, and then the moment that we're in now, right in the you know late late sort of 2020s, and then you know there's a transcendence and pivot point again with all COVID thing, you know. Who knows where that's going to go? But um, for me, it really is also about equity. Uh, but to answer your question, I I think that her comment really probably was about the uphill battle, right? And I think you meet someone you don't really know, you know what kind of grit they have. And for anyone that's involved in architecture, it's a long, hard mountain to climb. You know, and it's it's not, and it's that's not exclusive to white people, to black people, to, to women. You know, it's hard for anybody because it's extremely competitive. The field is saturated, and I think you you constantly have to think of ways to differentiate yourself. Uh, think of ways to be innovative. Think of ways to save your clients money while giving them, you know, premium value to their to their assets and. To me i think that is one of the things that makes it interesting right it's a it's about problem solving there's this three-dimensional rubik's cube that you've got to figure out which is like the the lived-in built-in environment but then there's a the way of approaching the work i think and delivering message and communicating uh, verbally so that you can actually achieve the goals that you set out to achieve um yeah i don't know if that answers the question
1: no, it does. I mean, I, I guess, like, the blunt question is, you know, do you do you feel that you've been disadvantaged, you know, working in the architectural community in Chicago? I mean, point blank. I mean, it's not an easy
0: conversation uh, no, or no, question no. to have, but... Yeah, I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, I'm here talking to you right now, right? I mean, some, some might say yes, but it's about how you deal with the obstacles, right? Yeah, they exist. I, like I said, I, I've had... Uh, I've had to fight really, really hard, but I don't know what it's like to be a white guy trying to come up in architecture either. So I don't know how hard they may have had to fight. They may have had to fight just as hard, right? And I can only I only look at it from my perspective, from 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 my experience, um, because I don't know what other people have had to deal with. Um, I do know that uh, you know work when I was at SOM, and you're in the room, and there are 23 managers, you know, partners and, and managers in the room, and I'm the only black guy. Um, My wife, my wife, friends, you know, we would have the same conversations, we'd have the same struggles, we'd have the same angst, we would have the same pressure points professionally. Um, And I think that it's not something that was exclusive to me as being a black man. I I will say that, you know, because my personality is the way that it is, in some ways can be an advantage. And that's the way that I look at it, because people are already looking at me. I've already got the spotlight. And, And what do I have to do? Stay in shape smile a lot, dress really nice, <laughs> be on the cutting edge, make you laugh. You know what I mean? I, so I think it's an rock, advantage. Rock, rock, rock cool Jordans. Exactly. Oh, speaking of which. Let's see them. I got a new pair on right now. Those are clean. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, but that's the kind of the way I look at it. It's like, uh, it's an advantage. I think it's an advantage. Man, they're, it, people are already looking at me <laughs> you know, so I mean so what do you think of everything that's going on right now yeah I mean I would say also that um, I was I was raised in it, you, you gotta kind of take me as an as a outlier you know and I, and I see Why? myself as, as an outlier um because you know not to say that I came from a family of means but a lot of the things that would traditionally apply to 90% of Black America's struggle in the urban world, I necessarily didn't have to deal with, you know? We were always the only Black kids at our school. We, we my, my family, I don't wanna say like extremely affluent, but, you know, we we, we did pretty good as a family, uh, you know, historically. We owned lots of land, we, we, had, we had money, we were privileged, you know? My brothers went to private school, I went to a magnet school, we were, um, not, you know, the, in some ways growing up, black America used to say to us, oh, you're white, you're not black, because you're educated, because you're smart, because you dress nice, because your, your mom is rich, um, are the things that we would hear. So if you would, if you would flip that on its head, we almost had a head start in some sense, right? And I think that there is a, it, there is a severe equity problem. And I, and, I, and I appreciate the Black Lives Matter movement. It, I mean, I'm, I'm a full supporter of it right? I don't always agree with um, the things that they propose, like defunding the police entirely. I think that's completely crazy. Um, I think that you need like an, a working police force. But I think we do need to root out the racism that exists in institutions so that, so that people have a fair shot, right? Because if, if you think about it, because there's an Obama, because there's an Oprah Winfrey, you know and hopefully like I can cast my name up in the stars with those guys at some point because the you know the best of the best of the best and the most elite um, of you know black people that rise to the highest levels of profession uh exist doesn't mean that racism's gone right and doesn't mean that we don't have equity issues uh, i mean chicago's a perfect example i mean we're we're really divided upon racial lines right and you know we talk about I mean, this conversation is going to go way beyond architecture um, and real estate. But, you know, we talk about black-on-black crime, and there's white-on-white crime. And the problem really is, is crime, right? There is 85% of the murders that happen happen in communities uh, where people know each other, right? And I, I've kind of researched this just for my own education. There two-thirds of the people that are killed are killed by people you know. And because we're segregated, particularly in Chicago, severely segregated – they're all the black people that are going to be murdered are going to be murdered by black people and white people that are murdered in the North side are murdered mostly by and large by white people too. Um, I do think that because there sometimes is a need to uh, think that we're past racism, we only look at the black on black crime and don't pay attention to the white on white crime. But I do think that we do have equity issues that exist, right? There, 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 there are schools that are in severe need of funding. Um, there are grocery, de- grocery store deserts that don't exist in certain parts of the city. And there's also parts of the city that simply aren't policed. You know, I had a, I worked with a young lady who had her cell phone stolen, um, and she had it traced. And it, and it was down on the south side of the city. And she told the police, hey, my phone is here. Can you, can you go get it for me? And they laughed at her and said, we're not going down there to get your phone. So she came to me and said hey can you go down there and get my phone with me and I said I'm not going down there with you to get your phone I was like you better buy another phone you know what I mean so but but because the, it's just an example the police wouldn't even go down there it's just an example of how things are kind of left to uh you know the wolves and if if the police stopped policing in Lincoln Park there would be there would be a severe spike in crime in Lincoln Park right and that goes for for everywhere I think if people aren't sort of actively looking after the environment that they exist and live in, and it falls into decay, then things like crime become a problem. But it is also, you know, one thing I didn't talk about are, are all the interviews that I had to go to sometimes to get the jobs that I had to do. You know, I've sometimes had to go to three, four interviews, six, seven, eight different references. And then the, the ability to, like, generate those references and, you know, go through this gauntlet um, I think is, is a credit to the fact that my mom was a colonel. Uh, we grew up a certain kind of way. I moved around all the time. I met lots of people. After, you know, even through college, I was always out there meeting, engaging with different people and letting people know who I am. And a lot of people don't have the opportunity. A lot of black people don't have the opportunity to do things like that.
1: So, so how, that. how does that change? So how does that change? I mean, I think you kind of summed it up that you yeah. feel that you were a semi-privileged black man. Um, yeah. So how does, you know, um, you know, a young, you know, black person in the inner yeah. city that has the same dreams that you had that may, you know, really be in for the arts and may yeah. have an eye for architecture? How how does someone like that, well, you know, yeah. get to yeah, where there, you are it, today? There's certain I mean, programs, are, are there, ace, are there programs. Yeah, yeah, exactly,
0: yeah, yeah. so ace, a, there are ace programs where, you know, kids from from inner city schools um, have the opportunity to intern with architecture firms and actually learn from architecture firms in some cases it starts as early as high school um, i also think it's about jobs too right giving people the chance giving people the opportunity i was working for a firm in new york that wasn't Calatrava and it wasn't kpf although i did work for those two firms i'm not going to tell you the firm i just don't want to you know do that but i went to their holiday party i was there for a short period of time i thought it was great it was exciting it was a corporate firm i went to their holiday party with my girlfriend at the time, who's not my wife, but we went to the holiday party and I'm talking to some of the people that I work with. And one of the guys comes up, he's a principal in the office. He goes, Hey, how do you like working in the mail room? And I was like, I don't work in the mail room. He goes, Oh, Oh, I thought you were working in the I was like, no, I'm not working in the mail room. I'm working in that design studio over here with these guys. He goes, Oh, I'm really sorry. I left the holiday party and never went back to the firm and found another job. You know, so that's the kind of thing where if it were the, you know, the, if it was you, uh, it wouldn't probably wouldn't happen to you, right? Because in New York City architecture firms, every guy in the mail room is a black guy. So uh, I was also interviewing at the time with a firm in Connecticut um, just, just across the street from Yale's campus. And the cab driver picked me up from the train up from Manhattan. And we get to the, you know, we get to the office and he, <laughs> he looks back at me. And he goes, You sir, you're going in there for an interview? I'm like, Yeah. It's a black guy. He's like, I've been cleaning the floor of that building for twenty five years, and you're the first black person I've seen go in there beside me. Good luck. You know, and I didn't get the job. So so things like that shouldn't happen if we want to be inclusive, right? And then and and, and create and inspire diversity. I do think that poverty can improve when education becomes more common in areas that are underfinanced. And I think that when opportunity becomes more common in areas that, uh, with, for individuals from areas that are that are financed then I think that the life of those people in those environments can also change and improve. So, so it's really for me about, it's about uh it's, we, we need to be smart, if you, if you think about, I, I was talking to my buddy, you know, that's heavy in, in BLM, and I said, hey man, you know, let's change the conversation a little bit, right? I think the protesting is great, but we need to activate in a, in a way that's smart. And by that, I mean, there has to be a full scale pivot to education, to opportunity, to jobs training, to like the soft skills that you, that, that you may not have. And um, those types of things are more important, I think. Not more important, but just as important um, to like screaming and holding a sign. That, that's important too. But when you go home, what do you do? Like anybody can go get a sign and put it up and then say, hey, Black Lives Matter, but what are you doing beyond that, right? Like, how, how, how can we really create change and what does that look like? So voting is important. Education is important. Jobs are important. Um, um, and you know, and I think once we truly get to the point where the opportunity becomes more equal, and we truly do exist in a merit-based society, then I think that you'll see instances of racism decline as well. And, you know, a lot of racism now is motivated by uneducation, right, and, and ignorance on multiple levels. So, like, the more educated you become, sometimes the more liberal you become, but the more accepting you become as well, right, of people that are different. And that's why in cities we tend to vote blue and sometimes, you know, are, are less, um, you know, less less prejudice. Uh, Because I think we're exposed to more, so I don't even know if I'm answering your question at this point.
1: (laughs) No, it is. I mean, this is the the reason why we do this. Is listen, it's this is about you. This is not about us, and we're here to listen. And are there things that you know, you know, Madison Rose or you know, R two or are there things that you know we could do to be to be more mindful? um, You know, from your from your opinion um, and your standpoint.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that you, I think you're a great corporation, man. You guys are doing good stuff. Um, I never once felt that, you know, Madison Rose or R2 fell into any category that was discriminatory in any sense. Um, It would be interesting to see you guys get involved in some of the more social programs, right? Like ACE Mentorship, um, whether it's Habitat for Humanity uh, or some other things too, and I think I can help you find those. You know, we can plug in and, and do some volunteering or um, find key programs to engage in uh, that might be beneficial to underserved communities. Right? I think inclusion is is an, is, is vital and extremely important. Um, yeah, you know, I, think, I think
1: what I think what's yeah. tough is like you know we're we're all. Um, we're all being reactive to this movement, right? And sure. I feel like, you know, taking action. You know, you, you want to make sure you're doing it for all the right reasons, and you want to be authentic, and you don't, you don't want it to come across as insincere. And yeah. just for this podcast, for example, like this yeah. this didn't come up because I I called you and was like, hey, I want to do a podcast because you know this Black Lives Matter movement. It yeah, right. started off as like, hey, you're doing badass work for us uh, across yeah. the board for R two, also for Madison Rose. Um, you're a big, larger than life personality. And you, you sent us, uh, um, at 500 North Michigan, a reaction to COVID about a spec suite and how we should, you know, COVID proof yeah. the spec suite before we build it. And so I said, Oh, wait, great. That'd be a great podcast. And then on that, comp- during that conversation is when, you know, right when the, the, the yeah. riots hit and yeah. you kind of went to a diatribe and I was like, yeah. Oh shit, this is, this would be yeah. like, this is what it's all about. You know, this sure. is what those podcasts is all about. But yeah, I, I feel like um, I want to be careful not to be reactionary and, sure. and, and be un- unauthentic about what we do. But um, you do bring up a good point. You know, you, you think about having interns, you think about mentorship, you think that yeah. that probably is the best way um, yeah. to to help in an authentic way where you. Um, Candidly, I mean, I think, you know, we are always looking for interns. (laughs) I mean, um, and who isn't, right? Thank you. But I think (laughs) in real estate, I I see all the interns in real estate um, and they're usually sons or daughters of someone else in real estate. So it's usually a white son or white daughter in real estate. Again, nothing that I've ever thought much about. But, um, you know, I think that's why this movement um, is is a positive thing for society, just because um, there's just more awareness. Um, and you know, you know, I, I I don't, I don't feel like, um, I've discriminated in my life. Um, but then again, also I've, I've lived, lived what is probably would be considered more of a sheltered life. Um, and so I don't know what I don't know and all I can do is listen, but, um, this, conversations like this, I really appreciate. And I really appreciate about you being, you know, so forthright and, and candid and, and, and wanting to talk about it because yeah. my guess is it's not something that's really easy.
0: Yeah. it's. I mean, definitely, it's, it's definitely not. And I think sometimes perceptions make it more difficult, right? Like I never, I never want to, I think most most of us are really sensitive about being perceived a certain way. Um, I try not to get too angry in the office you know, I don't, I don't want to. Be that, oh, angry black man! You know what I mean? I try not to complain a lot either, because like, oh man, he's using the race card. So, you, it's a, it's a fine line to, to sort of negotiate. But we do live in times where, I think the world is becoming more conscious of things that they were sort of unconscious of, right? When George Floyd suffered the way that he did, I, that was a moment. I mean, everyone's locked inside their house on quarantine. You had no choice but to watch it. And it was it was visceral, right? I mean, it was it was like um, it was a, it was like a pivot point. It was a hinge point at which people realized, holy shit, stuff like this is happening, um, and this is crazy. And I think that the reaction to that, you know, that catalyst is ultimately going to be a good thing for the country because it's making us aware of the things that we may maybe weren't aware of as a collective. Um, and for sure, it's like, it, you know, it's it's um it's interesting the times that we that we are living in, right? COVID and you, you've got, uh, you know, riots and, and and you're right, though, you're you, to caution against being overreactive because every every everything that I think happens should happen from a point of in, intention, right? Like I'm a big planner, you know, I do like to like leap, but we should really think about the causes that make sense for us and, um, you know, how we begin to engage in them. So there's a, there's a protest tomorrow that I'm gonna join. Uh, you know, there's a, a residential, not a residential, but a furniture store in my neighborhood that the, um, the owners of it are openly racist and, and against, you know, um, the gay community. And they, you know, have been seen out in blackface in the last week, and all kinds of crazy stuff like that. So, you know, and I, I live in a very, I live in a gay part town, and and they came to me and said, "Hey, will you stand with us to to like protest the discrimination that they've shown to both of our communities?" And I was like, "Absolutely, I'm there. I'm there for you guys." And you know, I think that that was like a conscious decision that I made. You know, it wasn't, um, and, I, and it's the first time that I've stepped out to protest. And, and and part of the reason I haven't is because I was so shooken by what I saw in Minneapolis that I just couldn't, I couldn't move. You know, I stayed on the couch with my, and held my kid for like two or three days. And, I, and, it, and it like, it just, and then the hangings and all kinds of crazy stuff. And then, you know, Atlanta, but I, You know, this this is the first time I'm making a conscious decision with Black Lives Matter. You know, you know, with the gay community to take a stand against injustice to everybody in our community. Um, So, coming out of this light at the end of the tunnel,
1: seeing you sit in the Partners by Design office right now, we're moving forward in a positive direction in all facets of what's going on. What what's going through your mind, and and is there is there a silver lining of um, yeah for last three
0: oh, for you. absolutely i mean i feel grateful i mean we survived it right i mean i i think we've come out on the other side the energy is great my kid is back in daycare um my wife and i are still married you know we <laughs> <laughs> it was hard for for a long time you know not for long. three months it felt like forever but it was it was not easy right we have calls at the same time we have meetings at the same time we have a two-year-old who's running around you know, we, we get, you got to save him from killing himself all day long, right, while you're still trying to conduct business. Um, and he, he loves the spotlight as much as
1: you, it seems like.
0: Maybe more. Maybe more. He's going to be a really interesting guy. I'm excited to see him grow up. Um, it's going to be fun. Yeah, in, and I think, you know, it's uh, – this is such – I like interesting things. I think that the, the problems we've had to deal with in, in relationship to COVID-19 have been extremely interesting. You know, like this has shown us a lot about how we can work as professionals. And I think that um, there's a heightened level of intellect that's going to come out of this. And I think that, you know, firms are going to become more agile. There's, we found that maybe we don't need the size of office that we currently have. I mean, the the remote workforce has been extremely efficient. Um, We've maintained relationships. We've produced great work for our clients. Um, it takes a little extra work to get there behind the scenes, but it's, it's really awesome, and it's, and it's rewarding. And I think that um, you know, the cream is going to rise to the top. You know, a lot of people aren't going to make it out of this, and those that do are going to be better for it. And I think that we're going to find more efficient, effective, and direct ways of communicating and working with one another. So it's, it's pretty – I think it's awesome. I think that we're going to look back years from now – And we won't remember the virus, but we'll remember all of those great things that we found to solve the issue of working remotely. Right. So there there is this is going to be taught in business classes years and years and years from now, because I think it's going to fundamentally change the way that we work. Um, I think that's kind of the silver lining.